0: The following sermon is from Christ Church, Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. And uh, this morning, we're going to wrap up the series uh, with this to-do from Pastor Peter, and that is uh, adjust your expectations. Adjust your expectations. This one's going to help you, and uh, we need that because God rarely does He meet our expectations, but regularly He also exceeds our expectations, doesn't he? Anybody ever been surprised by God? Anybody, didn't, things didn't go the way that you planned? Yeah, God, God's really good at, uh, at just blowing right past all the things we think he could do, should do, would do, when, all, he doesn't care about your calendar, timeframes, but he's got really amazing and powerful purposes and he gets all his stuff done. Isn't that so incredible? So next week, we're rolling into just a three-part series called Limitless, Limitless. And we're going to explore how to kind of take the cap off of our spiritual growth. I don't know if you guys have ever felt like you just plateaued, or you hit the ceiling, or you've just stagnated, or you've kind of like settled into mediocrity, and you're just rolling forward. And that's not God's will for you. That's not God's plan for you. God's plan for you is that your trajectory of growth should just like skyrocket. And there will be ups and downs, but overall there should be a big upward trajectory. But there's things that hold us back. And when we understand what those things are, God's word's very clear about what they are, uh, and then we can encounter God's power to really propel us to the, to the next level. And so we're gonna look at some passages uh, where God puts forward his limitless love, his limitless forgiveness, and his limitless power over the next three weeks. And I'd love for you to be a part of that series. If, you, if this is your first time, uh, consider coming to all three of those next services. Uh, even if you don't like Christ Church, by, by the end of the series, you'll already go here. So just stay so uh open your bible if you will to first peter chapter one god's already uh, blowing past my expectations uh, you know we've been in this generosity initiative since early this year. We just had our sixth month of of committed giving, and I told you at the outset if you're if you're part of Christ Church and you're committed to our expansion project, we got a couple million dollar adult sanctuary we want to build and then convert this space to our kids, which will allow us to to grow into the church we feel like God's calling us to be and be a multiplying church. And so we got vision for the future and a plan, and we got a, a price tag, and we're working towards that. And so we were curious if if our little ragtag church could put together uh, the the financial support to make this happen. And it looked like we were gonna be right there, real close. But I wanted us to exceed 100%. The professionals told us to expect 80 to 90% of our commitments to come in. And I wanted to be like, not this church. We're gonna do 100 plus. And then every single month we were over 100%, 130, 150, 200% one month. And so the is awfully weird. And then we took three weeks off because of our little Delta variant outbreak and threw everybody for a loop and I had you guys texting me that your, your credit card expired and you have to reset it up and, and every and so I'm going, this is gonna be the month. Month six is gonna be the month. And we snuck right in there and I was waiting and watching and we hit 99%, which is like almost a perfect win. Like if, you, if your middle schooler says, I got a 99, you're not gonna be like, it's disappointing, you know? You know what I mean? If you are, If you, if you do say that, you need counseling and your child definitely needs counseling. Living with you. But anyway, I was a little disappointed. And, and uh, God's just so amazing because uh, I, I have this knowledge and I was ready to tell everybody. And it felt like a big letdown, even though it's really solid and amazing considering the summer and the slump and the missed services and all that sort of stuff. I should be really celebrating. I wasn't. And so uh, God, God brings in a generous supporter and hands me a $10,000 check this morning in the service. Yeah. Oh, here's some unexpected giving. Oh, all right. Yeah, so that puts us at 150%, just like that, just with one check. It's crazy. So God's awesome. You guys are gonna love this. All right, let's get into this together. Uh, but let's pray. Yeah, 1 Peter. We're gonna read just verse 13 this morning. We've been bouncing around the first 21 verses or so, but I got a lot to say in a little bit of time. So let's pray. Actually, let's read 1 Peter 1, 13, and then let's pray. I'll figure this out eventually. First Peter 1, 13. Therefore... Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Father God, we thank you for your word that is provided for us and has been preserved for us, that now... Hundreds and thousands of years after its initial writing, God, we can encounter your power in these words. God, we thank you that you have breathed out and spoken, you have given us life, and that you have given us hope and truth. And so this morning, God, I pray that we would encounter you in your word, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, God, I pray that you would renew our spirits, strengthen our faith, and build our hope as we look to Jesus. God, we need a revelation of Jesus Christ today. We know a day is coming when everyone will see him, but we need a revelation this morning. And so, God, we have have every reason to anticipate that you will do what you have promised. And so we ask in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, amen, amen. Each one of these series, these little sermons in the series have been uh, to do of how to set your hope. And we need this because we can find ourselves shifting the foundation of our hope to things that are not trustworthy. If you've ever uh, relied on people, to do something for you. I don't know if you guys ever heard these jokes about the afterlife. You know, there's always Peter at the pearly gates because he's got the kings of the kingdom and Revelation says there's gates of pearls. And so people imagine heaven as being this ethereal place with pearly gates and Peter's at the front. He's like the doorman and people like want to get in and want to get out. And there's all these jokes about who's in and who isn't. It's, they're, they're, they're awfully demoralizing if you're the pun of the joke. Anyway, I heard one of them where uh, Peter goes to Jesus and says, hey, we got a problem. Uh, one of the pearly gates is broken. And Jesus said, well, then hire a contractor. And he said, there's just one problem with that. They're all in hell. <laughs> now, I say that, and half of you, that's, this, how many of you guys are contractors? There's like 20 of you in this room right now. Like, wow. I'm like, whew, that, that hit like a lead balloon. Goodness gracious. <laughs> Save that for the conference. Yeah. Yeah, well, the funny thing is, um, A lot of times, people's bad rap on contractors is because they had unmet expectations. Because people get this idea in their mind like they're going to renovate their kitchen and they're going to go away and it's going to happen in fast forward like on HGTV. You know what I mean? Like, And it's all done. And there's no change orders and no extra costs and no delays and no no labor shortage. It's just like, I went away and I came back and it's just that ending scene of every HGTV show where everyone's crying. (laughs) And then they have to deal with a real person right? And nothing ever goes to plan and everything doesn't look as good as you'd like it to look and part of the reason all those shows if you watch they're like here's this amazing kitchen and they like focused in on like a plant and a potholder you're like what was that what we paid for you know no that's what's pretty and then you scan past everything else real fast with some camera angles like this and you don't notice all the bad cut lines and and bumpy drywall you don't see any of that right? And so we get this unrealistic expectation, and it makes everybody uh, hate contractors. So can we just show the contractors in the room some love? Thank you for your hard work. You're doing the best you can. It's a big, crooked world out there. You're trying to make it straight. And I would, I would posit to you that much of your stress and unhappiness in life is due to unmet expectations. Think about that for a second. The things that you're really, you really get really upset about, down about, is because you imagined a world where you would be happy and everything would go your way, and then you were forced to live in the real world <laughs> where none of that actually happens. And so you find yourself disappointed, disillusioned, let down, and that gets even worse and more destructive when you had put your trust in something that turned out to not be solid, when you really hoped in something. Now, there's real parts of that. I mean, we hope that... Uh, we hope that our marriages last uh, 70 years, 50 years, however long you have when you got started. Somebody got started later in life, 30 years, I don't know. You want to have a strong marriage. You want to have healthy kids that have successful lives. There's things that we really hope in, long for, and expect. And so some of those really close to the heart things, when they go wrong, they can be really crushing. But we also tend to really hope things go a certain way, whether it's in business or relationships or friendship, even church. A lot of people I've talked to have been really hurt in church environments. And so much of that has more to do with the expectations that we have than they do with the actual situations that we walk through. And so I wanna draw your attention to a spiritual reality, but it's incredibly practical too, and it, it, it fires on every kind of relationship. And let me explain it this way. All of us have expectations. The one thing that every single one of you brought to church this morning was expectations. Two weeks ago, you brought expectations to church and there was no coffee and donuts. And you're like, this is going to be a bad day. I can feel it. Because you you skipped breakfast and you didn't get coffee at your house because you knew we had the best coffee on Sunday mornings and then nothing. Just look at you guys all taking a sip simultaneously. It's beautiful. (laughs) See, we bring our expectations into every relationship, into every situation, into every new season. We have a way that we see it going. And a lot of times that happens very subconsciously. And so, many times, our expectations go uncommunicated. Think about this. So, uncommunicated expectations. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Uncommunicated expectations. This happens in marriages all the time. Remember when you first moved in with that person, and you thought they were going to be a lot like you? And they're not at all. They snore and steal the covers. They leave their toothbrush in your sink, right? What, is, what are all the bad habits? You're like, what in the world are we getting? Anybody have a, a tea bag in the sink person? You got a tea bag in the sink person? Anybody got a tea bag in the sink person? You're like, why don't put it in the trash can? Why does it end up in the sink? The little tea bag stain in the sink? No? Three of you are laughing hard, so somebody in here does. You have these expectations of what life is going to be like, and then it ends up not being like you expected. And so many of those expectations go uncommunicated. And we say things like, I thought it just kind of went without saying. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, nothing goes without saying, can I get an amen? Most of our unmet expectations began as uncommunicated expectations. Oftentimes, we didn't even tell the other person what we expected from them. Now, this will lead you through a season where you become disappointed in everyone and kind of jaded. It's called your 30s. I don't know if any of you have been through that at all. Now, I'm escaping my 30s this December, coming to a theater near you, you get a 40-year-old pastor. I'm really excited because in the last decade, my expectations of most people have really plummeted. And that's a really wonderful thing. I'm happier now than I've ever been. People, people tell me all of their commitment and excitement, and, and my response is, I love you and we'll see, right? And that's just part of being in your 40s. And I'm very excited about this season. I'm a much happier person. And I found myself riding the roller coaster of unmet expectations. And a lot of times it was uncommunicated. I just didn't say what I expected. I didn't communicate clearly. These days, I try to tell everyone what to expect from me. I want you to know what I'm like and not have to find out the hard way, you know, like my wife did. So, unmet expectations, uncommunicated expectations. Uh, And then, unfortunately, many of us have unreasonable expectations. I was sitting by the pool yesterday. And I had a first like day, whole day off, 24 hours. Nobody called. Nobody got sick. Nobody was in the hospital, or at least ended up in the hospital, or told me, if if that happened to you. I'm sorry. Didn't know. I was in the pool, ignoring my phone. And so I'm sitting in the little sun shelf, and uh, Julian comes out, and he's in his bathing suit, and he's standing next to me, and his sister jumps in the pool, gets him a little wet. You got me wet! He's screaming mad. I'm like, bud... You're by the pool <laughs> in a bathing suit. Unreasonable expectation. We had this experience of, uh, actually, it was about a year ago. We're sitting in Chick fil A. Remember when you used to be able to eat indoors? And uh, we're sitting in Chick fil A, and it was full because people were out and doing things. And we're there with our kids. And Chick fil A is like the consummate kid restaurant. Can I get an amen? Tiffany and I don't go to Chick-fil-A on date night, just in case you were wondering. Not the ambiance we're looking for. But we take our kids there, and we're sitting at a table with our kids. And you know, if you've been around Christchurch, you know my son. You'll hear him through the walls. He's the loudest human being in this county. And he's just being himself in the restaurant. And we're fine with that, because it's Chick-fil-A. There's Polynesian sauce exploding everywhere, and waffle fries hitting the ground, whatever. And so we're always doing this, like, shh, shh, bud, bud, shh. inside voice, six inches. He doesn't know any of those things. He has one volume. It's all the way maxed. He's like that minivan you had where the volume was stuck all the way on, all the way loud, and there was a Barney CD stuck in there. That was all it ever play. It was that. It's mommed. So that's Julian. And we're sitting in there, and we look over, and there's this older couple, and they're eating their little Chick-fil-A sandwiches, and this woman is giving us the, the most evil look ever, like... What kind of terrible human being are you that you would allow this little monster to open his mouth and let such terrible noises escape? And she's like, ugh, giving us these disgusting looks and just glaring at us like she's trying to communicate her displeasure without any words at all, and she's doing a fantastic job. And so we just stopped trying to quiet him down. We're like, lady, you're in a Chick-fil-A. Like, this is not the chart house, okay? That is an unreasonable expectation. Do you understand? The same thing can happen in church. You know, Christ Church is like 30% children under 12, which is a subgroup of people that I really connect with on an intellectual level. <laughs> but part of that is that we have lots of young families. And so if you come to Christ Church, you can expect to hear babies crying and kids squirming and loud things. That's just how we roll, and we're fine with that. Do you, isn't that nice to be fine with that? Yeah, everybody with loud kids? Yeah. Once my kids are grown, we may change that rule. I don't know. We'll see. But for now, so much of our expectations, if we actually said them out loud, we might actually realize just how ridiculously unreasonable they are. And yet they are the things that are dictating much of our happiness. And so as you learn how and where to set your hope, let's do some work to adjust our expectations adjust our expectations. Now, one of the things the Bible is really clear about in pretty much every book is that we live in a world that is broken, that has trials and troubles and atrocities in it. That is the real world we live in. And one of the things I love about the Christian faith is that the scriptures deal with the world as it actually is. The scriptures give us hope in a broken world. They give us an object of faith to bring to bring deliverance from a broken world, to heal people who are in the broken world. There is no fairy tale unicorns and butterflies version of the world in the scriptures. And that actually is very encouraging to me because we're actually living in a world right now where because of our prosperity as a nation, we are letting people project to us this idyllic vision of the future that if we just take this one certain course can bring about things like equity for everyone, income equality across the board. This means you can work at Burger King or not Burger King or not even work and everybody has more than enough. You have the salary of an executive. Listen, that world does not exist. That will never happen. So much of what is being pushed our direction as assumption is actually hope in a fantasy world that will never come to pass. And yet what it'll cost us to get there is everything. And we will be living in a dystopian new world, but the problems will also always be somebody else's fault. And it never ends. It will never, 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 never end. If we keep moving in this direction where we hope we can get to this thing, then we don't recognize the thing that we actually have. And what I love about the scriptures is that they give us hope in the midst of reality and not hope for some mystical, magical thing that we actually know can never take place. And the more we try to make it happen, the more we move towards what is progressive, the more backwards we end up going. And so I want to give you hope for the world as it is, and that's what the scripture does. And let's do the best we can to be ambassadors of reality. Can I get some ambassadors of reality? Because we're moving towards the United Social States of ruined. That's where we're going, the USSR. Yeah. All right. So are our expectations unmet? Is that where our unhappiness, disappointment, disillusionment, concern, hurt comes from? Did we ever communicate those expectations in the first place? Did we ever say out loud what we actually wanted or expected from another person or situation? And are our expectations reasonable. These are really helpful diagnostic questions. Now, I could have called this last sermon in the series, not adjust your expectations. I could have just called it lower your expectations. I could have just said, and this is what my 30s have helped me to see. If you just lower your expectations of everybody, you're just a lot happier all the time. Seriously. And there's lots of of like legit like journals. I'm talking about like psychologists and psychiatrists have written like PhDs on you will be happier if you just lower your expectations, to just expect everyone to suck all the time at everything. And then you're just delightfully surprised when anyone's remotely humane. You're like, oh, what a what a blessing, right? <laughs> and it's, it's true. It is this world where the, the, more, the more you lower your expectations, the higher your happiness goes because you aren't disappointed and you aren't disillusioned and you aren't let down and you aren't broken. But it's really important as we evaluate our expectations of God. And that's what I want to do with the time I have left. Because everything I've talked about could be applied to your marriage. It could be applied to your neighbors. It could be applied to the school you're in. It could be applied to your business. Any relationship you have with humans, what's your expectation? But I want to talk to you about the expectations you have on God. Because some of them are unreasonable, and in fact, he's communicated what you should expect, and maybe you didn't even listen, and maybe some of what you feel towards God—if there's some resentment beneath the surface—you would never admit to that, especially not in church. But when things didn't go your way, and you have yourself a little anger at God, or confusion, or you felt like you knew Him, and now you're like, "Who are you? What are you? What are you doing?" If you have this reservation, like, hmm, "Yeah, a little cyn- a little cynicism," and this can happen. Below the surface. A lot of that may come because of an expectation that you didn't necessarily need to have. You never said it. You didn't listen to what he said. And it actually turns out it was unreasonable. But my biggest concern is not that your expectations of God are too low, or too high. It's that they're too low. I think actually most of us don't recognize what God actually offers to us that's so amazing and wonderful and powerful, which is why we're going to spend three weeks in this Limitless series that's coming up, because our expectations actually far lower than it should be, even though sometimes we feel like it might be too high. So let's consider this for a second. If you go back to First Peter, if you have it in front of you in a paper Bible or on your phone, you'll notice that in his introduction, Peter says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, and so we talked about that in week one, elect exiles that you were chosen to be cast away, that you were picked to be persecuted. Those things don't seem to go together. So not what we expected or hoped for or wanted, but God chose it. Now they're in these different cities. And it says in verse two that this happened according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Think about that phrase for a second, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. It's actually an incredible comfort that we worship the God who knows everything. Just let it sink in for a second. There's nothing God doesn't know. This is incredibly comforting. Now, this should not push us to be deterministic or fatalistic and think it doesn't matter what I do because of what God knows, that's dumb. And that's not the real world. That's a fake religious world, if you've ever thought that. But that God is in control of everything and knows everything is the foundation for the hope that he gives us as we walk through this broken world. He knew it. He knew what the exiles in 1 Peter were going to go through. He knew the disappointments you were gonna face, he knew the heartache that you were gonna experience, he knew the death and the grief, he knew it all. And it's according to his foreknowledge that he gives us hope. See, God's not surprised, he's not caught off guard, he's not shocked. You can't shock God, isn't that good? We shock each other all the time. You ever had somebody that you really didn't expect to screw up royally, really let you down? How could you? God's never said that, ever, ever, because he knows everything. It's according to his foreknowledge. If you read this whole section, which we've done in previous weeks, and you get all the way down to verse 20 and verse 21, there's a summation of everything. And it says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, the speaking of Jesus, but was made manifest or visible in the last times for the sake of you. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And so we begin this section with the foreknowledge of God. We end this section with what he foreknew. And what he foreknew ultimately was not the disappointment you would face. Ultimately, what he foreknew was the son that he would send. The son who deserved to have everything go right for him, and yet God allowed everything to go wrong for him. The son that deserved to have God approval and his acceptance, and instead he was rejected and condemned. What God knew and what God saw was how God would fix the broken world, and his name is Jesus. Think about this for a second. The foreknowledge of God is what kept him from judging the world. In Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve sinned, they heard that the day you eat of it, you shall surely die, and on the day they ate of it, they did not surely die, not all the way. They were disconnected from God. They went into a world plunged in darkness, but their life remained. In fact, they lived hundreds of years. The justice of God could have ended the scriptures in Genesis chapter 6 when he saw that the intention of every human heart was only evil continually, and he repented, he he regretted that he had made man on the earth, and so he decided to flood the whole world, but he had made a promise, and so he preserved a remnant, Noah and his family, and he started over with them. And again and again and again, God's anger relents. Why? Because he loves humanity and wants a people for himself. He sees the problem, he knows we are powerless, and he devised a plan to help the powerless, to save the lost, to deliver the captive, to redeem that which had been pawned away. And his name is Jesus. You see, it was in the foreknowledge of God that his plan of salvation came. And I love this because it deals with the world as it really is. When I talk to Christian people who are like, I just don't know if I can believe in a God that would let this happen. And I'm going, do you read this? Do you know how terrible this is? There's whole chapters of this book I will not let my middle school child read. Don't you are not allowed to read Judges. Do not read Judges 19. See, I just got your high schooler to read the Bible. You see that? They're going to go home and be like, "What's in there?" I got to find out the gory R-rated chapter. There's more. I can give you the other chapters. It's terrifying. It's it's awful. And awful is happening all over the world. See, our problem is that we've been living under the blessing of prosperity, of commitment, of honoring the rights of human beings. And our world has gotten better and better and better in our little border, in our little country. Do you know that? This is one of the reasons I did not like when Trump was saying, make America great again. I didn't like that. Now I voted for him. I told you that. But I didn't like that because there's a lot of people who America was not great for. But the great thing about America is if we do things the way we had started, it'll always keep getting better for everybody. That's what is great about America. But here we are living, and we can get myopic and not realize the horrors that are happening across the world. Although coming to a town new year, the horrors are making their way our direction. I read yesterday that our State Department's trying to figure out what to do with the Afghan refugees who have come to the United States who are, Isla- who are Islamic, and they have a 60-year-old man with their 12-year-old bride. This is my wife. Uh, That's illegal in our country. What do we do with them? Guess what? It's getting real around here. You don't get to be myopic because we're American. We don't get to complain about the minimum wage. I was telling my daughter yesterday, 90% of the world lives on $2 a day. That's the world, okay? This is us swimming in our pool on a Saturday. That's not the world. That's called decadence. Now, I enjoyed it. I'm not going to lie. But that's not the world. And the one thing I love about the gospel, the good news, is that It deals with the world as it truly is. Do you see it? God doesn't paint a rosy picture and say, I can figure out a way to give everybody everything they want and make everybody happy all the time only if you just change these behaviors. No, no, no. Every single human being needs a new heart, needs to be renovated on the inside individually. No system that we have where we agree with each other to to honor each other's rights in any, any way will hold up when there is broken humanity. This is why we need a justice system. Do you know it? Because there's transgression. The only way to solve that problem is through the hope we have in Jesus. And this happened according to the foreknowledge of God. He knew. He knew. Sometimes we get this idea that God would should or could stop all human suffering and that's what god should do and that's an expectation of god that he has never set for himself the expectation he set is the world is worse than you think there are things you will learn and see that will be a whole new level of how bad this world really is but he sees everything and he did something about it and his name is jesus that's something you can hope in that's something that will fix the brokenness in you and that is what will the only thing that will fix the brokenness of our world now listen every good thing in our world everything that works well is established in truth and this is who jesus is and so anywhere you find something that's doing good for people you will find a connection to biblical truth okay this is why i changed i'm no longer a republican because now there are no Republicans and Democrats, there's Democrats and Republicrats, and, and everybody's a mixed bag, and I'm not in it anymore, no party affiliation. But if there was a party called Constitutional Conservatives, that would be where I am, because I want to grab a hold of that which is truthful and reliable and maintain it and change it, but change it really, really slowly. Remember how we used to say it would take an act of Congress? Anybody ever used to say that? It would take an act of Congress to get that done around here. What's that mean? It would take forever. You know, that's intentional. Don't you know that? That's intentional. When anybody ever says, we're going to change it like that, rip the Band-Aid off, start over, throw it away and start over. You know how many centuries we're working to get this right? And so if we're going to change it, if we find something that we can make it better, and we can because there's problems in there, let's just change it. But on purpose and really slow. This is how I parent in my 40s. Slowly real slow. Can I have a phone? Sort of. (laughs) Here's a phone. This does nothing but make calls. I know. (laughs) Son, we'll slowly turn it on for you when I'm 45. So we got to adjust down our expectations to what God has actually said about this world, what God has actually said about what he'll do, about what God said that he will hold people accountable for. I mean, a big part of understanding God is is recognizing there's a day of reckoning. You see, we're we're setting our hope on the grace that's to be revealed, or the grace that's to be ours at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're all expecting to experience God's grace, not God's fiery retribution. We're we're all expecting to stand before God and, and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. We're all there to hear the blood of Jesus forgives my sins and now I'm welcomed into God's presence. But if it wasn't for that, it would be the most terrifying day you could ever imagine. And the Bible calls it the second death because of how awful it is. Why? Because God is a God of justice and every human being will stand before God and give an account For what they did in the body this is why when bad things happen we can still honor a just and merciful god he just didn't meet our expectation of being merciful at a particular time or intervening in a particular way but he never said he would and this is so important listen i listen to so much garbage christian teaching and there's so much of it out there just so much of it painting a picture of god that is not real and a picture of the world that is not real and it's devastating because it works for a while. Because you can go through an awesome season of life where everything goes well. I even shared last week the story about how God physically healed my eyesight. I, I experienced a miracle in my own body. I shared that story. So I know miracles are real. But there's lots of miracles that God does doesn't do. And there's lots of answers that God, prayers that God doesn't answer. And there's lots of trials that God purposes to do a work in your heart and through your faith and in your mind. And he wants to test you and purify you and bring you through something. And God allows a lot of terrible, terrible things to happen, but he never wastes any of it. And if you hope in him through it, and if you trust in him through it, he'll do things in it you could never imagine. And you start hearing people around here saying, I thank God for what he did during my cancer. And I thank God for how he changed my perspective when I lost this child. And I thank God and I would never have changed it for what he did in my marriage after the affair. What is wrong with you people? They encountered God in real time, in the middle of suffering, in the middle of pain, because we... Serve a God who's revealed what he's actually like. And he's done the one needful thing and he'll never leave you through the rest of it. That's a God you can count on. That's the God you can hope in. And we need to adjust our expectation to what he has revealed. Listen, it's also unknown. God foreknows everything, we don't. We don't. If you meet any Christian that tells you exactly what will happen, they're wrong. I love it when people come out on the news and they're like, we have calculated the day of the end of the world. And I'm like, you're an idiot. Every single time. I can guarantee you now that the day you just picked is absolutely not the day. I know it could be any other day, but now I know it's not that one. By process of elimination, if you get enough idiots, we might be able to determine the day because nobody knows the day. It's literally what it says, but we figured it out. You're not that smart. Yep. I'm just waiting for that day to come so you can tell me the next day and why it was wrong and it wasn't your fault. But here we see in this passage, if you look down at verse six, where it talks about us being tested by fire, there's this subjunctive phrase. Do you guys, any English teachers, do you guys remember the subjunctive case? Nope. Nope. It means might happen, may be. It means it's a potential future that we don't know if it will be fulfilled or not. The subjunctive. And that's what we have in this passage. What does it say? It says, in this you rejoice though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory at the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're back at this same exact moment. In this you rejoice though now for a little while. So here we have, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Sometimes God puts me through something, and I'm like, was that necessary? (laughs) Turns out it was. (laughs) It was unlovely, but completely necessary. And so we have this idea that something might happen, and we don't know what it is. I I don't know what you're going to go through. Today may be, you may think your life is going as bad as it's ever gone, and it might actually get worse tomorrow. Tomorrow you may go, man, I wish I could just go back one day. Because we don't get to know what may be. But the thing we do know is that if we put our faith in God and our hope in God, he will bring us through everything that he's causing us and calling us to walk through. And what will result is in our salvation at the end. This is what God wants to to do in us. So listen, we're real about the the trials and the troubles that people go through. I love Winston Churchill during the second world war. He said in a speech, if you're going through hell, keep going. Think about that for a second. If you're going through hell, don't stop. <laughs> this is like, you ever been driving through a bad part of town, right? You ever been driving through Casadega at 2 a.m.? <laughs> I'm gonna skip a story from when I was 21, but driving through Casadega at 2 a.m., and you get that, that uh, you know what, it doesn't matter how little gas I have, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm making it to D-land. I'm gonna keep moving till I get to Orange City. If you're going through something dark, You got to engage with God and keep moving forward. And this is where I want us to take our adjustment of our expectations. Now listen, when it comes to people, you can pretty much always just turn it down and that'll get better for you, okay? There are some people that you need to turn your expectations up. When we get to a sermon about marriage, we'll talk about that. And I'll say, listen, that's unacceptable. You need to turn your expectation up, set a boundary or put them on the couch. We'll talk about it. But mostly with people, we can adjust down. But I want to talk for just a minute as we close about how we can adjust up when it comes to our expectations of God look it back at verse 3 i love this phrase blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy That phrase could have been skipped. It could have gone directly. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's a pretty phenomenal sentence, but it's preceded by the phrase, according to his great mercy. One of the things I love about being a Jesus follower is every single day and every single year, I become more acquainted with how great the mercy of God is. How much I deserve to fail and how much God lifts me up. How many times I've made the wrong choice, said the wrong thing, acted the wrong way, and God forgives me and prevails in a situation and works in my heart and changes my circumstances. I make a dumb choice and then God still presents a solution. I love that. I'm like Mr. Trial and Error. If you're gonna hang out at Christ Church, get used to this. It's just, I I drove off a whole eldership because of this feature of my character. I have, I have this desire and design to motivate and mobilize the mission. I always wanna keep Christ Church nimble and moving forward. I wanna keep us like loose and ready to go. You like that? Oh, now listen, that's really bad when your church is 30 years old because you need to be like a stalwart, stable, and you, make, you start to just, it's like, they always say like, it's like turning a battleship. Why not a cruise ship? Turning a battleship, you know what I mean? Aircraft carrier, just slow incremental change. But when you're a young church plant, you gotta be able to go, let's try this. And if it works, it could be awesome for everybody. But then sometimes it just doesn't. You're like three weeks into something that's six months long. You're like, this is is bad. This is a bad idea. And so we just stop. We just try something different. Man, I used to have some people that would just be, they would drive them nuts. I'd watch the veins in their head popping, their eyes twitching. I'd be like, listen, we tried this. It didn't work. We need to like repip. What? I'm like, cut our losses and do something different. What? And how many times have I done that? oh, Lord, help me. But every single time, God teaches me something. God shows me something. God does something that we couldn't imagine. And he he gets us better at listening. I heard Warren Buffett say it this way. Somebody asked him, what has been the key to your success? And he said, good decisions. And they said, well, how do you get to make good decisions? He said, experience. They said, where do you get this experience? He said, bad decisions, (laughs) right? Right. So some of this, you just can't learn any other way. And you will find that you will either grow in your adjusting your expectations with age. So some of you are of a certain age in the room and you, you have adjusted your If you've adjusted your expectations, raise your hand, come on. All right, so if you've been around for a while, but you will meet people who are like 70 years old and they've never adjusted an expectation. And they're just nasty, cynical, judgmental people. (laughs) wrong, world, world's so screwed up. People, unbelievable people. You have a neighbor like that? You're like, I did, I moved, it was so bad. I told you last week, I was like, bring your most judgmental person, most critical person. So if you got invited to church this morning, (laughs) I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. See, a, a huge part of this adjustment of our expectations, if we don't make these adjustments, it just hardens us in our view of the world, in our view of people, in our view of society. And we start blaming them and they. Who are them? We don't know. Everybody, everybody else. And we do the same thing towards God, and you can just, you can just like fossilize into this crazy, crotchety, old, crusty thing that nobody wants to be around. But a lot of that just because you are unwilling to adjust your expectations. And the cost of that is your own joy. And so this is what I want to set you free from with your relationships, but mostly with God. And so look at how he did what he knew he would do according to his great mercy. Listen, there's a perspective that comes when you recognize the, the power and the levity of our Christian experience. I was on a course of destruction. Now I was born in America in the 20th century. I was born to a family with a mom and a dad who were together for almost all of my childhood. My dad worked hard, my mom parented us well, we were raised in the church. So I have a lot of things going for us. We were, we were below the poverty, the American poverty line. And so we, I grew up poor. I had a lot of bad things that happened to me and that I partook in. So I have a, a, I have a, a history like some of you do, made some, some bad choices. So I've, I've got this life. And I was on a course, and it was aimed at my happiness, but it was very ill-informed. And what happened to me at 18 was God got a hold of me. He, he broke in. I wasn't paying that close of attention. I can't take credit for what happened to me when I was 18 years old, but I heard the voice of God and I got a reality check and an invitation to repentance and faith. And so not knowing what the future would hold, I set aside all the things that I thought would make me the happiest and I put all my chips on the Jesus table and I said, I'm all in. And what I received in that moment was hope for eternal salvation, grace at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I've been living in light of that day every day. And I have had no idea what the future would hold. And listen, you may look at my situation and think, that's a great situation. Beautiful family, lives by the beach, pastor of the best church ever. Even though the lights are going out. You may look at the situation. Now, it has been a roller coaster for me. It has not been it's not been wonderful at every single front. It's been some very very difficult and painful things I've personally had to walk through just like everybody else. But here's what I have experienced. I have hope because of what God has done for me through Jesus and I have put my faith there and I'm going to go through everything with expectations that God will bring me to the salvation of my soul that verse 21 ends with and I have discovered how great his mercy actually is. Sometimes it's taken me 10 years, 15 years, even 20 years to realize how empty, shallow, broken, and terrible my plans for myself would have been had they come to fruition. You ever meet somebody who you were like really close with and on the same track with 20 years later when you went a different direction? See, this happened to me recently, and maybe this is like a 30s, 40s thing, but I started looking at all the guys I grew up with, and I'm like, how do they look so much older than me? (laughs) Have you guys ever experienced that, anybody? You look at somebody, you're like, whoa, we went to high school together? You're like an old person. You look like your dad, right? What is going on in your face? I can't see it in my face. I'm like, I feel the same as I did when I was 20 years old. But I've I've also seen the effects of taking a course of life that involved a lot less Jesus and a lot more drugs. And you can see it on the outside. And when I see that, I'm filled with love and compassion for my friend, but also an awareness of God's great mercy. Because I was choosing that path, I was, and God snatched me off of it. And the beautiful thing about God's great mercy is you're never, it's never too late for God to snatch you off of it. This is one of the things I love about the hope we have in Jesus. God deals with the real world. He will save an 18-year-old from a life of addiction, but he will also save a 60-year-old from a life of addiction. God can do anything at any time if you're willing to receive by faith the promise that he makes. This is according to his great mercy. And we need this because, listen, if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to end up going through a judgmental phase. You might be in it right now. That may be why you're invited to church today. So much of our judgments of other people, comes from having unrealistic expectations. One of the reasons our mission is to be and become disciples of Jesus, who make disciples of Jesus, because we realize becoming is a process, and not everybody starts from the same place. And so we don't judge people based on their externals. We don't judge people on where they are in their journey towards Jesus. Just because somebody um, says words you don't say, or has tattoos in places you would never get one, or or goes to places, or talks to people, or, or whatever the behavior is, you, you, you name it, we don't have this flat standard by which we judge all people because we're all on a journey from where we started to where God wants to take us, do you know that? And so you may encounter somebody that looks like just trouble on wheels, but you have no idea the mercy of God in their life and what they've come through and where God's taking them. I always joke with people about smoking cigarettes because that's like the, t- the easy taboo, the low-hanging fruit for sermon illustrations. You know, You let people in this church that smokes cigarettes? And I wanna be like, you should have seen what they used to smoke, right? (laughs) Like this is real progress here. Like let's have a party over this. We're talking just cigarettes and only a pack a day at this point. Praise them, right? It'll be vaping next and then we'll get them fully delivered, right? We got time, we're going places. Listen, all of us are on a totally different journey. Do you know that? And so it's really helpful for us to turn down the judgments and turn down the expectations because you don't know what they're going through, who they are, what they've experienced, where they're meeting God. But you do know God's great mercy. And if God's shown great mercy towards you, then we ought to be people that show great mercy towards others. And I want to say, lastly, that we need to learn to show great mercy even towards judgmental people. Because we live in this world too, where um, you, can, you can all of a sudden go from being the right, the right people, the right way, the right thing, to suddenly everything being flipped on you and now you're the problem and you're the evil the evil person. The version of this is called cancel culture, where we just go, you used to be doing all the right things, and then something appeared or something happened, and now you're out. And don't you love that the church is not like that? Don't you love it? Like, you can be a total screw up. And if you you got a church that's got the heart of God, you should be able to disappear off the map and roll back into church. I remember the church I grew up in. I had this really good friend and he was always getting in trouble and made a ton of bad choices and he ran away and he'd be gone for years and he'd come back. And I remember one Sunday, I finally got him to come to church with me. I said, gotta to come to church. Just come to church, come to church, come to church. I was leading this church at this time. And we're in the lobby together and I'm giving this big warm hug in the lobby. And somebody says to him, well, look what the cat dragged in, in the lobby. How long are you staying this time? And I wanted to just punt her out into the parking lot. Ah! What an evil, terrible thing. But you know what? God's also working in that heart. Do you know it? So what does it look like for us to also be gracious towards judgmental people? Think about this. These are people who have only allowed their own experience to adjust their expectation. The only people. There's a whole world full of very small-minded and inexperienced people out there who know everything. They're in their 20s. <laughs> right? So here we, need, here we need to be a church where we just, we see everybody on, on, on the journey, but we adjust our expectations. We turn them down a lot for, for people. We, we make some adjustments for what we think God should and would and could do, but ultimately we need to crank up our expectations of what God's great mercy is capable. And this has just been the the case for all, all all of Israel's history. Sometimes we get this idea that deliverance is going to be delightful. Deliverance is not delightful. God rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. And then he took them camping in the desert for a whole generation. It wasn't delightful, but it was according to his great mercy because he taught them things and he revealed things and he set up a a, a nation to go in a direction. And in the middle of their suffering, in the middle of their wondering if there would be water, their shoes didn't wear out. Do you know that? And so here we have to turn our expectations of God to what he has said about himself. Deliverance is not delightful. And God's promises are not punctual, by the way. Sometimes we receive God's promises and we are meditating on God's promises. God's going to he's going to he's going to bring you through this. Yeah, it's going to take 14 years. Did you get that part? No, I thought it was going to be Tuesday. Nope. But he never fails his promise. Now listen, we're going to get into this in this next season, but here's the one promise that you need. It's really the only one. It's the one if you have this one if you can just dial in your expectation level on God to this one promise, it will get you through everything and it's in the Bible again and again, and again and again and again and again and again. He says, I will never leave you. I will never leave you. I will never leave you. I will will walk with you through the fire. I will walk with you through the flood. I will be with you in the trauma and in the tragedy I will be there when the pain is more than you can bear. I will never leave you. We don't have a God that has promised to protect us or to provide for us even always. We don't have a God who has promised to prevent trouble, but we have a God who has promised to be present and to give power in every situation. And if you can adjust your expectations to God's main big promise that he has fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the sending of his Holy Spirit, then there is nothing that you can't face. And there is nothing that you can't endure. And there is a hope to be had that will carry you through the most difficult circumstances. It will get you through your judgy 20s. It will get you through your disillusioned 30s. It'll get you through your slow and methodical forties. And I don't know what comes after that. Talk to somebody older than me. But if they're making it, let me tell you, they're making it with the God who never leaves them. I will not have all the answers for you. There are people who love you and will help. Ultimately, all of us will let you down if you're asking us to be what only God can be for you. I tell Tiffany all the time when she has unreasonable expectations of me, I say, babe, I'm trying to be a great husband, but I am a terrible Jesus. So you and Jesus go for a walk, all right? And so let's communicate our expectations. Let's evaluate whether they're reasonable or not together. And let's adjust our expectations to increase our joy and connect us to God's powerful presence according to his great mercy. Amen. God, I just pray for all of us, mixed bag as we are in this room this morning. God, I pray for those who are are just investigating who you really are. God, I pray that you would just be drawing them like you drew me. According to your great mercy, God, I pray that you would just be pulling them closer and drawing them in, God, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically. God, I pray they would hear your voice calling their name and this offer of salvation through faith in Jesus. God, and as they receive that good news in their ears, I pray that there would be faith given to be able to confess and to and to believe in their heart that, that you have raised Jesus from the dead and there's hope to be found in his name. And God, I pray that this seed of faith and the salvation that is inside of us, Lord, would be, would become established in hope as we learn to adjust our expectations of you and of the world around us. God, I pray that we would be people who are so powerfully Planted on the promise that you will never leave us and that you have done everything to save us and not forsake us, that we would endure through everything this world has to throw at us and that we would find ourselves at the day of the revelation of Jesus Christ receiving your grace, having fully hoped in it. God, I pray that you, we would be a, a fearless and enduring people who are kind and patient and ready to, to open up our arms wide to all sorts of people who are on in process and making progress. God, would you do in us what only you can do? Help us to set our hope as we adjust our expectations. And Lord, lift the limit of our knowledge of you, Allow us to experience you in a way that that blows our boxes and our minds and our preconceived notions and increases our joy and our confidence and our faith. God, we need you. And so we're going to keep drawing near and drinking deep and living full. And now we just look to you to do what only you can do. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. 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 Hey, listen, if if you felt like when I was praying for people who God's calling, if you felt like that was you in any way, our prayer teams, they want to pray with you, talk to you, help answer any questions, and help you take next steps in this journey towards Jesus. And if you're here as a Christ Church member or guest, and you have any need of prayer, we would love and be honored to pray with you right here before you leave. You are welcome to hang out as long as you want, as long as you get your kids first. I love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.